from the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida. This is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. A spacecraft the size of a passenger van is orbiting an asteroid more than 100 million miles away and will soon snag a sample of dirt from the surface and send it back to Earth. OSIRIS-REx launched from Cape Canaveral three years ago. The mission is NASA's first asteroid sample return. Scientists hope the ancient asteroid will hold signs of early life in the solar system, but since its arrival, the asteroid hasn't been exactly what scientists expected. We welcome back to the program the mission's principal investigator, Dante Loretta, to give us an update on the mission and the surprises uncovered at the asteroid Bennu. Dante, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. So it's been three years since uh, OSIRIS-REx launched. Uh, First of all, how's the spacecraft doing? The OSIRIS-REx spacecraft is in tip-top shape. It has performed phenomenally, uh, exceeding our expectations and our requirements. And we have a very capable vehicle, which is good news because we have a very challenging asteroid. Let's let's talk about that. Um, Paint us a picture. What does... What does Bennu look like? What do we know about it now? So asteroid Bennu is a near-Earth object. That's the target of our mission. And our primary objective is to return a sample from its surface. And a lot of what we knew about this asteroid from our ground-based and space-based astronomical telescopes turned out to be correct. It's got this really interesting spinning top shape. Uh, I often say it looks like an octahedron or if you're a game player, an eight-sided dice. And that we knew. We had that from radar observations from the ground, and Bennu definitely has that really fascinating shape. What we had predicted was that the surface was pretty smooth. We were expecting kind of a gravel-rich environment, lots of particles on the scale of a centimeter or so. And that is not what we found. In fact, Bennu is very rugged and rough with lots and lots of large boulders, as, as large as a football stadium down to sizes of cars are scattered all over the surface of this object, presenting a real challenge for us to get down and collect a sample. And Dante Loretta, give me a sense of where um, Bennu and the spacecraft are right now. How far away uh, are we talking? We are currently about 14 light minutes away, which is the the way that I think of space of distance when you're talking to a spacecraft. And a good rule of thumb is that it takes about eight minutes for light to get from the sun to the earth. So since we're about 14 minutes away, it takes almost twice that distance. So it's getting onto the other side of the solar system right now. So we're talking all the way across our orbit and then almost another orbital radius to the other side. Does that make a challenge um, running this mission, that, that there's obviously some latency when you sending commands or, or, or getting data back from OSIRIS-REx? We knew that that was going to be the case, so we certainly designed the mission and the spacecraft to operate under those conditions. Uh, we are getting farther away, so one thing that means is our data rate is going to drop. So we were over a megabit per second on downlink. And now that's dropping to about 600 kilobits per second, so almost a, a 50% reduction in our in our data volume. So that's an impact. We can't take as many images and can't get data back as as much volume as we were before. And it does mean that the sampling sequence is going to be autonomous. So we're basically going to program the spacecraft from orbit departure down to surface contact, sample acquisition, and back away. We'll all be on board. 
And because of the rugged nature, we're trying to get into some pretty tight spots on the surface. The spacecraft's going to have an autonomous image-based guidance system. So it's actually going to be taking images and adjusting its trajectory on its own as it heads down to get that sample. As you mentioned before, this spacecraft is uncovering things that you didn't know about this asteroid. Can you take me back to that moment when your team discovered how rocky the surface was or some of those first pictures are coming back? It seems like this has got to be an incredible moment of, of discovery, right? Absolutely. Uh, it was amazing when the first resolved images of Bennu started to come in. It, it was the culmination of thousands of people working hard and dedicated uh, jobs to get this done. Personally, at the time of the initial image, I'd been on the program over 14 years, and it, you know, it brought tears to our eyes. It was like, we're here, all of this hard work is paying off. Yeah, it looks a little tough, but we knew we were going to get surprised, so it, it was finally a relief to know what the surprise was going to be and then start working on the solution. And overall, Bennu has delivered. We have a great asteroid. I mentioned the shape, but the other big... Uh, news was that it in fact is a very water-rich asteroid and that was one of the first discoveries on our way in. We were using our spectrometers to measure the way Bennu reflects sunlight and we see that it absorbs a lot of light in the infrared at a wavelength around 2.7 microns and that's from water-bearing minerals on the surface which is exactly the kind of material that we were looking for it helps with understanding origins. You know, we expect water-bearing minerals to be related to organic minerals, uh, organic uh, molecules. And we also are interested in Bennu as a potential resource depot in the future. And a water-rich target is exactly where you'd want to go for asteroid mining and in-situ uh, rocket fuel production. And Dante Loretta, I'm also reminded of another surprise um, that you all discovered when you first arrived there. The asteroid was actually spewing particles into space, right? That's right. Bennu is what we call an active asteroid. That was a j the jaw-dropping moment for me. I will never forget that day. We were actually in the middle of a science team meeting, so we had over 100 team members gathered in our auditorium. We were going through our initial data and, and the challenge of getting a sample. And my astronomy lead, Carl Hergenrother, waves me over during a break, and he shows me this image and I look at it, and I was like, what, is that a cosmic ray? What's going on? He's like, I'm pretty sure Bennu's erupting. <laughs> so uh, we started a dedicated monitoring campaign, and in fact, Bennu ejects particles on a regular basis. We're still going through all the data. In fact, I'm revising a manuscript right now on the initial science campaign to understand the phenomena. And we don't exactly know what the mechanism is. We have some leading contenders, but we're still trying to sort that out. And it's turned out to be a great science opportunity because we can track these particles. Some of them leave the asteroid and they go into interplanetary space. But a lot of them are sticking around and they're either on like a suborbital trajectory where they go up and they come back down and hit the surface or they stay in orbit for days and we're able to track them as they orbit around Bennu. And that gives us a free uh, probe of the gravity field because they're getting really close to the surface, much closer than the spacecraft is most of the time. So we're actually getting a lot of extra science about the gravity of this asteroid as a result of this phenomenon. I mean, it just seems like this is the definition of discovery and exploration, right? You, you had some sense of what you were going to find when you get there. And now there's just this swath of new data and information that's coming back to you. It's got to be incredible to be on that science team. 
We are very fortunate and we're very proud to be on this program, and it's an honor for me to be able to lead it. Absolutely. It is a great scientific expedition. We're exploring the unknown. We're entering new terrain, and we're getting surprised, but we have a great spacecraft that's very capable, and we have a very clever team that knows how to deal with the unknown. And so we're all actually enjoying the challenge. I have to admit, it's something that you, the thrill of solving the problem and knowing the team is capable of solving the problem and working through the details is exhilarating. So you're now working through um, four sample sites um, and you're narrowing it down to one sample site. Can you tell us a bit about what you need to have at these sites um, in order for OSIRIS-REx to get close enough uh, to deploy its arm and and you know, collect some of that dirt that's on the surface. What, what are you looking at in these sites? So the original design was that we thought we would have areas that were about 25 meters radius, uh, so pretty big, right? So half a football field of, of a target area on the surface of the asteroid. We're dealing with things that are about five to maybe seven or eight meters in radius, so much smaller areas that we have to target. And what we're looking for are areas that are basically free of hazards, which are large rocks, right? We need to get our robotic arm, which has a, an air filter at the end of it. We need to get that air filter down onto the surface in contact with grains that are centimeter scale or smaller. So that's what we're really looking for. Flat areas that look like they have the fine grain material that would be safe place to send the spacecraft down to the surface and where we think it will collect a lot of material. And those are there. We see them. We haven't gotten down to centimeter scale images yet. That's what the next phase is all about. Um, but the areas we picked are the best options on the surface that look like they're free of boulders, relatively flat, and have a high probability of that sub-centimeter material being there. So you imaged the entire asteroid and found these four sites that could possibly meet the criteria, and now the job of, of the team is to photograph and analyze these sites um, in even more detail and make your final selection, right? Yeah, so our, our global imaging campaign is complete. We got full coverage of the asteroid from multiple lighting conditions. You know, we look at it from different angles. Sometimes you want shadows, sometimes you don't want shadows depending on what you're trying to measure. The spectrometers have fully mapped the surface. Our laser altimeter, which was provided by the Canadian Space Agency, has completed its global mapping campaign. And those data are amazing. Uh, there, there should be a press release about those coming up here in the next week or so. And so all of the global nature of the asteroid is fully understood. And we were getting pictures with a pixel size of about five centimeters. So kind of like maybe uh, smaller than a baseball mm -hmm. or the kinds of things that we could see on the surface at a single pixel scale. Uh, and now we're going to get down to about centimeter scale on the pixel level. So five times increase in resolution. And we've done this several times during the approach phase and the preliminary survey, you know, we were getting things like 30 centimeters per pixel. And then you get down to five and it's like you just put your glasses on and everything looks sharp and in <laughs> focus. And the, we're going to see that again now at the site-specific level. We can't map the asteroid at that centimeter scale. It would just take too many images and too much time. So we have to pick these areas of interest to get the high-resolution data. And ultimately, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to get down to a primary and backup site, and we're going to look at those at millimeter scales to really 
find the very best single location on the asteroid where we want to target the spacecraft for sample collection. And when do you hope to have that, uh, that final site selected by? We think by the end of this year, we're going to uh, spend the month of October getting the high resolution data at the centimeter scale on all four sites. And the team has all of November to process the data and we'll sit down in probably the first week of December and look at all that information and then make a selection on the primary site and also a backup site in case we need a second attempt and we disturb the surface during the first attempt for some reason. And then we will spend early spring of 2020 going to even lower altitudes, getting higher resolution data, getting confidence in our ability to target a specific region. And sample collection will be summer or fall of 2020, depending on how all of that work goes. Mm -hmm. Have have any of these surprises um, at Bennu um, altered the mission timeline at all, or have you been able to kind of work around it? It has altered the timeline because we didn't expect to be looking at four sites at this resolution. We thought it would be easier to select down to the two. So the activities in in the fall here, what we're calling recon phase A, are really uh, new additions to our mission profile. The good news is, as I mentioned, we knew we were going to get surprised by Bennu. And so we put in schedule margin. We had blocks that we didn't allocate to specific resources that were for exactly this kind of scenario. You get there, you're surprised, you need observations you didn't think about before you launched. So you take those margin blocks. So I took a whole month of margin and said, okay, recon A, four sites, get me the data, and we'll take a look at it, and we'll consume some of the schedule margin in order to do that. What's the next big milestone for this mission, Dante? Getting the data from Recon A, that's a big milestone for us. So right now we are sitting in orbit and we're kind of far away. We're back up at the initial orbital altitude where we range between 1.6 and 2.1 kilometers from the surface. And we're doing particle monitoring. That's kind of a a easy activity for us to do during quiet times. Just take a bunch of pictures and and we're still seeing particle events, ejections coming from the surface. They've pretty much continued. Uh, Every time we start looking, we see another one. And then we leave orbit and we're doing passes over the surface at a little over a kilometer. So that'll be the closest uh, non-orbital trajectory that we will have performed. And we're going to do that for four weeks in a row, one site per week. And then getting that data down and making the primary site decision based on that. That's really the big milestone in terms of bringing in NASA headquarters, running them through all of our data and our thought process and getting their concurrence on our decision for the primary site. That should be early December. And Dante, when you do collect that sample and return it to Earth, what are you hoping to find? What what questions do you have that you're hoping this mission will answer? So when you look at asteroid samples, you're really looking at the oldest rocks in the solar system. So we're basically geologists, and we're trying to piece together the story of how planets formed, how our solar system formed, and particularly why is the Earth habitable, and why did the origin of life occur here? So we chose Bennu because we felt it was going to be rich in water, which turned out to be true, probably rich in organic material, and we'll be learning more about that. We are collecting spectral data that could indicate the presence of organics, especially during these low-altitude recon passes. So we're interested in what did carbon do in the early solar system, how much organic chemistry took place inside asteroids, 
and what kind of molecules that are we know are important for biology, like amino acids and nucleic acids and phosphates and sugars that make up our biomolecules, how much of that chemistry happened even before the Earth existed? And did these kinds of asteroids deliver those to the Earth and maybe help catalyze the origin of life here? Because if that's the case, then these compounds got all over the place. They got to Mars, they got to Europa, they got to Titan, to Enceladus. All these places that we think are likely to be habitable probably also had the building blocks of life. And, and our search for life in the solar system just, just got a lot more likely to pay off. And finally, Dante, Loretta, you've spent uh, 14 years on this mission, and the finish line is in sight. Um, is there a little sadness uh, knowing that uh, this is almost over? Well, we still got a lot of work ahead of us, so I don't have time to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. Uh, and, you know, the sample's coming back in 2023, so that's still four years out, which compared to 14 years doesn't sound like a long time, but that's, a you know, a, co a person's college career, so... It's still a lot of time ahead of us, and then it doesn't end when the samples are back on Earth. Really, the science just gets started there because we're all about sample analysis, and the mission goes for two more years in the sample analysis phase. So I'm not done till 2025. I've still got six years as the active OSIRIS-REx PI. That's a long time, and I'm enjoying the ride. Wonderful. Well, we've been speaking to Dante Loretta. He's the principal investigator of the OSIRIS-REx mission. Dante, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Well, that was Dante Loretta, Principal Investigator of the OSIRIS-REx mission. Be sure to follow the mission on Twitter for updates and images at OSIRIS-REx. Now, we're starting a new segment in the coming weeks, and I need your help. Do you have a question about space exploration or planetary science? Well, we're going to put your questions to a panel of experts in a segment we're calling I've Always Wondered. So if there's something you've always wondered about, like what are gravitational waves or what does space smell like, let me know, and I'll put it to our panel. You can email me your questions at arewetheryet at wmfe.org or send us a tweet. We're at awtymars. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. The conversation continues online. Follow us on Facebook, search for Are We There Yet podcast, or send us a tweet at awtymars. Or if you have a story idea, guest pitch, or a question for our new segment, send it to me in an email, arewetheryet at wmfe.org. The podcast is a production of WMFE. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. More space news online at wmfe.org slash space. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>